0: I hope you're enjoying your holidays and um, enjoying people, the people around you, and uh, just kind of, it's just a really special time in New England when we get into the Christmas holidays. Uh, We're talking about Jesus the King, that he came, yes, to be our personal Savior. He came to be the friend that sticks closer than a brother, but the story of Jesus is much bigger than any of us. We're going to go to the Old Testament today, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture that uh, really uh, may seem like we're kind of getting away from Jesus' birth, but you're going to see that it's going to fit, fit together and connect. Numbers chapter 24, verse 12. Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell the messengers you sent me, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I cannot do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord? I must only say... What the Lord says. Now we'll explain in a moment what this story is all about and what who Balaam is and who Balak is. But I'll just give you the short of it the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, is on its way to its destiny, the promised land from Egypt. And this prophet named Balaam has been asked to curse the people of God, and which he's tried to do. But now he's explaining why he can't do it. He he said, I must say only what the Lord says. But come, let me warn you what this people will do to your people in days to come. He's talking about what Israel, what they will the threat they will pose. Then he uttered his oracle. The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the Oracle of one whose eyes sees clearly, the oracle of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open? I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Now he's given three, this is his, actually his fourth prophecy. And the others have been all about the nation of Israel and how God was going to bless him in spite of the fact that King Balak, who felt threatened by them, wanted to curse them. And he's, but, but he's not saying them now, he's saying him He sees a vision from the Almighty. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. What he's talking about, it's going to be a thousand years before it happens. He said, a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered But Israel will go strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Now, let's talk today. We need to talk about what's real. Is Jesus really the king? Is this gospel story real? You know, we are sometimes so concerned, especially with our youth. We're so concerned with sin management that we fail to talk about, oh, we're we're so concerned with sin management and righteousness that we fail to talk about what is real. Is Jesus really the king? See, righteousness that's built on reality will last. So we need to get into our hearts and the hearts of our young people. We need to talk to them about what is really behind all of this. Are we just debating Did we just create a religion uh, and a bunch of rules so we could control people? So we could keep people from doing bad things? There's nothing wrong with with that as a goal. That's a good goal. Uh, Sin management is a good goal. Everybody needs to do it. Every every home needs to uh, try to manage sin because sin hurts you and it has consequences. But if you want to have real power over evil in your life, you need to realize that God has something bigger for us than just sin management. God has something bigger for us than just sending his son on the earth with some of his blood to cover our sins. God has something much bigger than that. And this this whole thing is founded on a narrative that God has for the world. A story that God has for the world that will end in the planet being restored and humanity being restored. What is real? Is Jesus really a king? For Jesus to be the real king of the earth, there's a short list of other things that have to be real. God has to be real. The Bible has to be real. The story of Israel has to be real. Our text today that we're resting our premise on that Jesus is king of the Jews and by virtue of being king of the Jews is the king of the world is a story about an earthly king named Balak and a strange prophet named Balaam who tried, and this is an important part of this message I want you to get, they tried to create an alternate Reality with their message and their words. What came out of his mouth instead of the reality that they wanted to create was an affirmation of what was real, not the narrative that he was trying to create. See, faith isn't as much getting God to do what I want him to do as it is discerning what he intends to do. If you want to really grow in your faith, Quit just being a divine arm twister and start praying for discernment as to what in the world God is up to. Here's the setting for the Balaam story. It takes place as the Hebrew people are near the conclusion of a 40-year pilgrim, a pilgrimage from a life of cruel slavery in Egypt to a salvation life of freedom in Canaan. It's a picture also of the church of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of you and me. The Hebrews were now almost at Jericho, their entry point into Canaan. They only had to make it through the country of Moab. And they would be home free once they got through Moab. Now the king of Moab, Balak, listened to these reports of these accumulating Hebrew defeats. Everybody that had stood up against Israel, Israel wasn't going through the land attacking people, by the way. But everybody that stood against them, God was giving them victory, which is quite Quite an, uh, quite an accomplishment because th- these people were not militarily trained and they were not equipped and they were not equipped with, with, with armor and armaments. They were not trained to be military people or soldiers. But the, so the king of Moab knew that B- Balak, the king of Moab, knew that there was something more than natural forces. Uh, so he just put two and two together, and he came up with a logical four, and that he needed help from the gods. He needed prayer. <laughs> he, he needed sacrifices. He needed someone skilled in sorcery, and he knew just where to get it. The east of Balak's country of Moab was a vast expanse of mostly, mostly empty land stretching to the Euphrates River, and it was well known for charismatic leaders and prophets and mystics. People who work spells and new magic arts. One name stood out. The best in the business was Balaam. If the sword wouldn't stop the Hebrews from advancing, why not try some spiritual force? If Balak could just get Balaam to pronounce a curse on the Hebrews, if he could just change the story, change the narrative, We hear a lot about the narrative today, don't we? We hear a lot about establishing the narrative. Politicians and the media and special interest groups know the power of the narrative. They know that you can change outcomes if you can change people's version of the story. And that's what Balaam was thinking. If I can just change the story, the story that's being told is that these people are blessed... The stories are being told of these people are special. The story is being told is these are God's people and something is going to happen in them and through them and I need to change the story. So he offered big bucks to a hired gun. He wasn't a great guy. He was a self-absorbed turkey. He would preach for money. So he sends he sends some nobles over and says to Balaam, these people are coming. I want you to go curse them. And Balaam says, Well, let me go talk to God. And he gets in his prayer closet, talks to God, and God says, You can't curse them. I've blessed them. You can't curse them. He goes back, tells him, Sorry, I can't do it. God won't do it. But in his heart, he's thinking, I really want the money. So they go away and. Balaam, Balak, don't get the two confused. Balak and Balaam. Balak is so uh, um, concerned about this, and and so he sends bigger, better nobles to talk again. So, uh, I'm I'm a, I'm just in. This is a funny story, by the way. And this is a, like I'm just I'm just so intrigued by God. You know, the, the God's just not this rigid person who just says, "Okay, I said it. I won't don't, not change my mind." The he goes in and talks to God again. And God says, well, okay, they, they came a long ways, and uh, I'm going to let you go. But you're going to have to say what I tell you to say. So he went back and told him, and said, okay, God says I can go, but I've got to say what he's, God tells me to say. See, Balak was determined to change the reality of blessing on God's people. But he was about to find out that he didn't even know the half of it. He was about to find out that what he was about to try to alter was the destiny of mankind and the future of the world. He was about to learn the reason that this unlikely band of pilgrims who had never been militarily trained and never been identified even in the family of nations couldn't be stopped because there was royal blood flowing in their veins. That in the bodies of this untrained mass of humanity, about two million of them, was the DNA of the Lord Jesus Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why it was a big deal this week when it was announced that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It was a big deal. I don't care. I don't care what you think of it politically. I don't care which party you support. I don't care which narrative of the three or four that are floating around out there. I don't care which one you agree with. This is a miracle that this nation has survived much less the center of the news media. Now my question to you today is are you like Balak and Balaam? Are you trying to take over God's story? Are you trying to rewrite yourself some imagined destiny other than the one that God has written for the world? You know in recent years neuroscientists and cognitive psychologists have confirmed our suspicion that we're not very good at reasoning. In fact, we are driven primarily by emotions and intuitions. The psychiatrist Carl Minninger showed us that parts of our brain reward us when we confirm what we've already chosen to believe. It's called confirmation bias. It is fundamentally unnatural to change our minds away from the story that we're telling ourselves and the story we want to believe. Um, I illustrated this one time uh, when we had a small group that met in my home Scott Pfeffer by the way Scott pray for Scott Scott had major major uh, shoulder repair this week and uh, uh, but right about now I think the pain block that they gave him is supposed to expire so say a special prayer for him today (laughs) and uh, uh is he doing okay? So it's, it's going to be a rough day, perhaps. But let's pray for Scott, good man, and we, we hope that he can get that shoulder working right. So Scott's leading a small group in my house for some time, and he and I lived together. And uh, we, had, uh, we, we, just, we just put hardwood floor in the living room recently, and, but in those days there was carpet. And so I would bring my small group in, and they would all take their coffee into the small group. And they would spill their coffee on the carpet. And we had one dear, one dear person who, who kind of shuck anyway. And, and, and she would take her coffee and I would watch her, her hands dribbling. And this made Sherry very unhappy. When Sherry would come home from what she was doing and see the spots of coffee on the floor. Because I never noticed it or anything until she pointed it out. <laughs> And she was very unhappy about all that coffee. So I tried, you know, very feebly to try to get people not to take their coffee in the air. But I, I, you know, I I want them to be comfortable and enjoy themselves. So one particular night, uh, there was no offense to Scott's uh, leadership ability, but there were certain people, maybe you're here tonight, here today, you would come and sleep during small group. I, there were actually four people, and th- that would, <laughs> from time to time, uh, I know because I watched them, and I took pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and is Ken Landry here? No, Ken's not here. Uh, not Ken, but I mean, I mean Al. I don't see Al. Okay, Al's, I went, uh, Al's brother, the uh, The God rest his soul. Great man. But he went to be with the Lord. But he would come, and he he would often sleep. <laughs> so this one day, this one night, I, I, he and another brother were sleeping. I won't identify the other brother, but so it's Scott was just had his looking down at his material, <laughs> and I took their picture with my phone, and. Uh, and so afterward, Sherry comes home, and she's, "Oh, there's coffee. There's, somebody smoked coffee. No, the, nobody had their coffee in there, because C- I didn't like the, the, the discomfort of having, of, of having that confrontation with her over the coffee. So the story I told myself was there was no coffee. <laughs> so no, 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 nobody took the coffee in there tonight. Nobody. And I, I, but, but I thought, she would laugh at that picture of the two guys sleeping. So I took my phone out, and no joke, I said, look here, this is so funny. And so, yeah, they're sleeping, but what I didn't see (laughs) is in Ken Landry's hand was a cup of coffee. (laughs) My point is, you tell yourself what you want to believe, (laughs) and it takes a photograph or a recording to say, I really did say that. You know, uh, years ago uh, we had a we had a a, a guy named C, C. M. Ward was the greatest, no doubt, the greatest radio preacher that ever lived was C. M. Ward. But he would often he was a little bit like Donald Trump. He would say things that just push people's buttons, and he was just a. He, so he he was up preaching one more one night, and, and he he was talking about our executives in, uh, in, in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri, on the third floor. There, on the, all the executives on the third floor of our denominational headquarters. And he said, this is back when, you know, birth control was, pills were just coming out. And he said, I know those guys are on the pill because they haven't given birth to an idea in years. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, he, they called him in on the carpet for saying this. And he denied it. He said, i have never said that. And they, they turned on the tape, back in cassette, they turned on the tape, and his response was, my, what one will say when under the anointing?" <laughs> See, I, I'm just telling you that we're just great at denying reality. And, and that was Balaam. Balaam didn't like reality. He didn't like the reality that the blessing of God was on the people of God. And so Balaam goes with with, with Balak. Balak, I I, I get the two confused of talking. I don't know which one I just said, but Balak didn't like the reality. So he hires Balaam. So Balaam goes and he gets on his donkey and he rides. And you know the story of Balaam's donkey, right? He's riding along on their way. In the negev desert negev desert riding along and they come to this narrow passageway and god puts an angel with a sword and the donkey uh was smarter than the man and the donkey was more discerning than the prophet and he saw the angel and he stopped and he beat the donkey and got back on the donkey and donkey walked a few steps and the donkey ran against the side of the, the, the rock formation there that they were going through this, in this narrow passageway and crushed his foot. And he got out and he beat his donkey again and jumped back on the donkey again. And so let's go. And this, this, time the, 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 this time, the angel of the Lord blocked, completely blocked his path, this angel of the Lord with his flaming sword. And the donkey just sits down. And Balaam j- jumps up. His, his foot's in pain, He's frustrated. He's been made a fool of by these nobles. And he starts beating his donkey. And he said, if I had a sword, I would kill you. And the donkey talks and says, haven't I always been a great donkey? And I've always done everything you told me to do. And I've always been great. I've never done this to you before. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it, I just made him mad. He got, he got more furious. I mean, that, don't you just get furious when you're, when your eye animal starts to talk to you, just dude, I, I hate it when that happens, you know? And uh, then God opened his eyes. See, we, we get pretty crazy when we start trying to go against God. We get pretty crazy when we start trying to recreate the story that is written into the genetic code of the universe, which is that Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. The significance, that, you know, God opened his eyes, he saw it, he was repentant. The significance of the talking donkey is that nature is a teacher. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, does not nature itself teach you? Nature is resistance to our efforts to be against God. It's resistance to our efforts to impose a fabricated narrative on the God's immutable, unchanging. What the word? There's a kind of a new word out there. God's immutable, unchanging meta narrative. Our our meta narrative means that overarching story. See, see, narratives are like. uh, like a building, a building has sheetrock and uh, plumbing fixtures and electrical lights uh, and electrical electrical wiring and carpet and uh, trim. Buildings have all these things, but somewhere there's a blueprint. The meta narrative is the blueprint, and we get stuck in our little narrative with our little life, with our family and our marriage and our mortgage and our sports teams, and we forget. But there's a blueprint. There's a large story that we're getting to live in. And today, people are trying to tell you, you just find your place in the story. You just find your place in the story. That's all. you Just just find your narrative and live your narrative. You better understand the meta-narrative. You better understand that there's a bigger story that you're living inside of. And if you discover and start to understand the bigger story that you are living inside of, it is the most transformational thing that can ever happen to you. It's the most transformational thing that can ever happen to you when you discover that your important story is part of a story that is even more important. In fact... My story is interchangeable. God will put someone else there. See, God's big, big story nature is going to keep reminding you if you, don't, if you keep trying to write your own story and, you, and, and change God's story, God, nature is going to keep reminding you that you're living a lie. I can't think of a better example than how hurtful the natural results of the sexual revolution has become. How hurtful the natural results of the sexual revolution has become that really began in earnest in the late 50s and the early 60s this revolution of sexuality that we were going to be able to do anything we wanted to do and nobody was going to get hurt right wrong wrong because you're trying to change god's narrative You're trying to change the meta narrative that God created all of us, and He created our sexuality, and He created everything for His pleasure and for our good. The dumb donkey was more alert to God than the famous prophet. Balaam, for all his fame as a spiritual powerhouse, was dumber than the donkey. His heart was so full of himself and his plans that he couldn't see the most obvious signs of God's presence. Greed now had pushed Balaam past the point of no return. He completed this journey to work with Balak. He was going to get Balak's money come hell or high water. So here's what he did. They constructed an altar, an elaborate sacrificial ritual, seven altars on a hill overlooking the Hebrews, a bull and a ram. Ram were sacrificed on each altar. So seven bulls, seven rams. Everyone stood in readiness to hear the Balaam utter the prophet. And Balak just knew that he was going to get his way. He just knew that God was going to bend to his will. Some of us are like that here today. We're just sure that whatever we've decided, God's going to bend to our will. But what came out of his mouth was a poem of beauty about the people of God. And he did this three times. When, when that didn't work, ba- Balaam wants it to work because he wants the money. He wants the stuff. He wants the, he wants, he wants the profit. And so he says, Let, let's go over to this other mountain. And they went over to this other mountain, and they did it again. But again, he tried to curse the story of God. But the story of God blessing came out every time. And he did it a third time. You see, you see here to this morning, I'm not worried about being wrong about Jesus. I know we're not wrong about Jesus. Throughout the centuries, the church gets a lot of things wrong. We have a sad history of getting a lot of things wrong. You know, the medieval church, in medieval times, the church had answers for everything. And if you dare disagree with the church, they would treat you as a heretic. And you all know the story, or you know something about Copernicus and Galileo, Copernicus was a was this was a scientist or whatever, and he determined he believed his theory was that uh, the, the the earth was not the center of the universe, but that that we were revolving revolving around the the sun and and, and that we weren 't the center galileo was was a an admirer of Copernicus, and he also believed, and he invented this thing called the telescope, which gave him some evidence that we were rotating around the sun and not the other way around. And the the, the church accused him of being a a heretic. In fact, actually, it wasn't until 1992 that the Roman church admitted they were wrong. (laughs) <laughs> it takes a long time for some people, right? So what was created though when when finally when finally everybody realized that a telescope was more accurate than these obscure scriptures. They had taken a couple of scriptures out of the Bible that they interpreted to mean that the earth was the center of the universe and the center of the galaxy. And so, when people found out things like that the telescope was invented and you could actually see some things, that led to something called modernism. That led to something called the Enlightenment. And modernism said truth could be known through scientific methods. And this led to a lot of things. It led to the theory of evolution, it led to the industrial age, it led to modern medicine and modern psychology. It also led to some evil things, it didn't give us what it promised. It didn't solve our problems. It led to two great world wars. It led to many smaller regional wars where millions of people died. It led to the uh, atomic bomb. It led to to child labor. It led to race-based slavery. It led to a military-industrial complex that has caused the current generation to look somewhere else besides science for answers. So, in the West... We've produced this other thing. It's called post-enlightenment. It's called post-modernism. It's called a post-truth culture. That's where we are today. We've passed modernism. We're in a post-truth culture. A post-truth culture says, it's whatever I feel. It's whatever I believe. We don't believe things because they're true, but we think things are true because we believe them. We're like Balak and Bala. We have an essence said we're going to simply speak our truth into existence. Everything from the story of human origins to one's gender and race are now up to the individual to decide. Some places I hear I understand they're proposing leaving birth certificates blank. Because who knows? You may find out later what the gender of your child is. So we have this clash now. And, and you know what's really funny is, is the, uh, the, there's this new group of atheists right now that are begging us to back away from postmodernism and get back to modernism. Let's get back to science because this, this fabricating truth and fabricating our own narrative is making things crazy. In fact, here's this really, it's kind of cool what's happened. We're really having the biggest spiritual revolution the world has ever known. Now, all of it's not spirituality that you and I agree with as Christ followers. It's Islam. Islam has exploded. Islam has exploded in this postmodern era, but not only does Islam explode; Christianity is exploding in what we call the global South, and what we call the global South—South south America and uh, Central America and and parts of the Orient. Christianity has absolutely exploded as people are running like they're running frightened from modernism that did not do what we said it would do. It's produced murder and mayhem. It did not do what we promised it would do. And the answer, the answer is, the answer is neither really. The answer is neither, but the answer is the word of God. The answer is the Bible. The answer is that there is legitimate absolute truth, and it's been spoken by the prophets for years, it's been spoken by the Word of God, it's been in so many ways, It can't, maybe you can't put it in a test tube, I understand that, and I understand there's always going to be questions, but I'm telling you, the truth of God stands firmer than it's ever stood. Amen? Amen? So, Balak's to his dismay, blessing came pouring out of Balaam's mouth. Now, let me just show you quickly. I'll show you the verses, the three places where he prophesied. Chapter 22, verse 39. Balaam went with Balak to Kiriath Huzath. He blessed Israel. Then number 23:14. So he took him to the field of Zophim on top of Mount Pisgah, and there he built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam blessed Israel. Numbers 23, 28, and Balaam took Balaam to the top of Pior overlooking the wasteland. He blessed Israel again. And then, we read it in the beginning, here's the P.S. Then he uttered his oracle, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one whose eyes see clearly. See, Balaam's starting to see clearly now. Some of you are in this room, God bless you, you're starting to see clearly. You've tried to write your own narrative. You've tried to write your own story. You've, you've tried to be independent of the story of God, but you're starting to see it, and thank God you are. The oracle of one whose eyes see clearly. The oracle of one who hears the words of God. See, the answer is not modernism or postmodernism. The answer, the answer is the ancient wisdom of God. The answer is the ancient wisdom of God. The answer is not science, science is good, I'm not against science, but the answer for what will happen to the story of the world is not science, and it's not the postmodernism idea of our imagination creating reality. The answer is, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. <laughs> amen the word truth means reality you will know reality Balaam said finally said I see clearly now I cannot create reality and the more I mess with this thing the clearer my vision gets and I want you to know it's not just about these people it's not just about this people look what he said I see him I see him who is him But not now, I behold him, but not near a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of his, He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of sons of Shemeth, and all those things. We won't read the rest of it. So what is there for God to teach us about this royal narrative that comes uninviting, marching through our lives? Number one, we don't get to decide whether or not Jesus is king. We don't get to decide I've talked before about my own crisis of faith and because I just saw so much suffering a few years ago and I preached so many funerals and I just got so weary of it. I got weary of preaching funerals and I got weary of praying for people to be healed and they weren't healed. And I mean, I literally saw a man on his deathbed who had been claiming his healing and claiming his healing, try to get out of the bed and walk away because he wasn't going to die, but he died anyway. And I think that was a moment when something snapped inside of me and I said, I don't even know if this is true anymore, God. I've been raised to believe, I've been raised to believe in this personal God with a personal narrative and a personal story and personal power and that I have healing at my it's available for me if I just confess it and believe it in all these things and I can I can control things through the word of God because God has given I have the authority of the believer. And I had scriptures to prove it, and I I hit the wall, and I said, God, I, I don't know if I, I I don't know if you're there. And I I really really, and and it's it's kind of a tough position to be in when you're a pastor, you know. It's just your job security is kind of wrapped up in believing this all is true, yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and they don't have a lot of great jobs out there for ex pastors. Was, that's all they've ever done, and so I, I was in a predicament. Um, I, I uh, you know, so anyway, I remember driving on the road and and thinking uh, that, that I, I don't think there's really a God, and the silence was, was was terrible. And I said to myself, I got to go back and find out if there's a God, and I started digging, and. And I begin to run into things. I, first of all, I ran into the absolute reality of intelligent design. I couldn't explain the universe. I couldn't explain it. There had to be a creator. And I've, I've gone back and forth on social media with atheists and, 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 and go back and forth. And, I, and, and they always defend uh, evolution, and that's the basis of society. But they're never able to tell me. Not once are they willing to even, they're not even willing to talk about where the stuff came from that started the process of evolution. Quite frankly, I don't believe in evolution, by the way. But really, I don't care if God created evolution. I don't care if we evolved. Do you? I don't care. I want to know who made this, the moss that, that the molecules in amoeba came from that grew legs and became the first mammal. That's what I want to know. That's all that really matters. We we, we get all caught up in stuff, right? Anyway, I, I, I said, there's no way. You know, you, you own know, all the illustrations, Swiss watch and all that stuff. You don't put a bunch of pieces of metal in a garbage can and shake them up and come out with a Swiss watch. It just doesn't work. And then I, I saw the witness of creation. I said, I said, a cape one day in, on a rock and looked at the ocean and it was just my heart started to worship and I couldn't stop my heart from worshiping I couldn't stop it I, I started to sing the love of God the love of God and it, it, I couldn't change it and, and then I looked at the accuracy of biblical prophecy it's like 8,000 prophecies it have all come to pass. See, you can't judge history by the present. You can't judge history by the present. That's why you need prophecy. And, and then, then I saw the reliability of the moral code. Whenever people act against how God said you should act, the consequences are always the same. Whenever society says we don't need God, we don't need the commandments of God, and they go do what they want to do, it never works out. And when, when, when people honor God and they obey God's moral code, it always produces health. I cannot deny the moral code works. And then there was the recurring voice of my own conscience that says there's got to be something out there. There's got to be something more. My own soul Would not accept atheism. Then I looked at the life. The teaching and the credibility of Jesus Christ. Nobody ever said. He was mentally incompetent. That he was psychotic. That he was neurotic. Or that he was crooked or dishonest. Everybody. Even the atheists, said he was a good man. And he said he was Lord. He couldn't be. Back, back to C.S. Lewis's trilemma. He had to be Lord, liar, or lunatic. And then, of course, there's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where is the body? Everybody in Jerusalem, just about, except for maybe 12 guys, wanted to find the body, and they couldn't. How do you hide? A, but Jerusalem is a little, it's a little, small place. How do you hide a body from the Roman Empire? That's ridiculous. That's not possible. It's not possible that a bunch of discouraged disciples removed a two-ton stone and stole the body. It's not plausible. And then I looked at the faith and martyrdom of the apostles. Now, many people have died for a lie, but they had to be willing to die for what they knew to be a lie. And I've never in history heard of someone dying because of what they knew to be alive. I concluded I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I came face to face with the reality that simply because I couldn't command God or force God to be my tool, I couldn't write the narrative or the mysteries that I couldn't understand. There was no sane way I could do anything less than call him Lord. I also came face to face with the reality that He has given me the faith. And that's enough to believe in Him. Number two, even though we're resistant and faithless, His kingly presence doesn't come to crush, but to bless. I just want to quickly show you one verse about Balaam from the New Testament for one reason, and one reason alone. And that is to show you the magnanimous mercy of God with humanity. And how God treated this guy whose motives were at best mixed with such gentleness and respect. This Balaam character was real weak, real self-absorbed, but God treated him. God treated him with such kindness and tried to work with him. I like that kind of God. That the father of the royal king that wants to live in your heart right now, he's not a ruthless dictator, but he's a gentle, meek person, personage, personified. Look at this passage, Tuk, Tuk, Peter, 5, 2 Peter 2.15. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he, re, you know, he wasn't a nice guy. He loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. God was trying to save this guy. God was loving him. God didn't just start becoming a loving God in the New Testament. He's always a loving God. Something about the persistent gentleness of the way God worked with Balaam reminds me of how respectfully and persistently gentle He is with me when I'm a knucklehead. One of the reasons we, we resist someone speaking to us rudely is because it so conflicts with the inner voice of God that is always speaking to us so affirmatively. That's one reason you don't like it when somebody talks down to you and talks rudely to you. Because the God who speaks within you speaks to you with such love and kindness and affirmation. And you know it's true. You know it's true that he speaks within you. How many of you know that's true? He speaks within you with hope. Even when you sin and you mess up, I always can hear God within me. I hear the voice of God. Saying, come to the back to the cross, let's get this, let's let's cover this with the blood, and let's get you back on your feet. I cannot expect the people in my life to be God. They're, they're not that nice. <laughs> they're nice, but they're not, they're not as nice as God. But God is kind. And he's gentle. And I could give you 50, 60 verses of scripture that affirm that. Number three, our fear of Jesus is irrational. Balak was so afraid that the people of God were going to destroy him. The, our fear of Jesus is, 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 is irrational for he is nothing you fear he will be and everything you hope he will be. Balaam had the mistaken idea that the people of God were there to crush his nation, his hopes, and his dreams. But Israel is God's dream God's instrument to make every modernist and every postmodernist dreams come true of peace and prosperity on earth. C.S. Lewis in the screw type letters says, you know, he's got this junior devil in the screw type letters. And this junior devil is trying to keep this young man from following Christ. And this is this is great. You gotta listen. It's not gonna go on the screen or anything, so you got to listen. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letter says this to this junior devil who's trying to keep this guy from following Jesus. Never forget that we are dealing, when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground. God's the enemy, right? It is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. God's A hedonist at heart, everything has to be twisted before it's any use to us. Nothing is naturally on our side. And conversely, everything is by its nature on God's side. Every pleasure, every joy, every delight. Wow. No wonder C.S. Lewis is still read by everybody. I've spent my life being a Christian, and there's absolutely nothing about being a Christian that has diminished, diminished my earthly pleasure. Nothing. The only thing that will not let you do, with, the only thing God will not let you do with Jesus is have him anything less than your king. He will not let you be Jesus' king. He has to be yours. Our human tendency is to want to be like God, completely missing the truth. That Christ came to show that he is like us. I said our human tendency is to want to be like God. And we miss the beautiful truth. That God sent a Christ to be a baby in a manger. And walk the earth so we could find out that we are already in the image of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Ephesians One, I'm going to close with this. One, four. I'm talking about the narrative of God that even if you could change it, if you understood it, you wouldn't want to. You would want to find your, get your story into his stories, what you would want to do. And that's what we're inviting you to do these days. I want to invite our our prayer partners to come right now because some of you are going to want to be prayed for today, I'm sure. And we have communion available uh, communion is, uh, is a good place to remind, for you to get reminded that God gave his life for you. It's a good place to get reminded of that. So I encourage you, if you need a symbol of reminder, to come to one of the communion tables today. Or if you need prayer over something that we've preached today, or maybe something we didn't preach. God really loves you, and he, he cares about those l- broken parts of your story. And some of you, by coming up here today, he will help you to know how your story fits into his and vice versa. But let me read the scripture in closing. Ephesians 1, 4. Long before he laid down the earth's foundation, he had us in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago. You see, oh, this is shouting words here. Because because God was talking to Israel back in Balaam Balaam was just prophesying bless Israel, bless Israel, bless Israel but what what Balak didn't understand is this Israel was just an instrument that this was to bless him and to bless every one of us because he says so he says here so he made to be whole and holy by his love long long ago he decided to adopt us into... His family through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen here today. He thought of everything provided for everything we could possibly need. Letting us in on the plans He took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ. A long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Him. Everything in deepest heavens, everything on planet earth. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Amen. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Hallelujah. Come and be prayed for today. Let's get into response time.